Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So let's get into questions from students. As a reminder, you can always post your own questions to the page. This is a really great opportunity for you to kind of make sure your questions are commented on by a tutor. So the first one is from Sarah. So she's saying in Inman, it says failure to thrive in infants, weight for age that falls under the fifth percentile on multiple occasions or weight declaration that crosses two major percentiles on the chart. And then she says she got this Inman question. The best way to monitor an intern's, um, not an intern's, an infant's failure to thrive is to plot what? And options are weight for length, weight for age, weight, or weight for age. And she said, I assumed it to be D, but the answer is A. Can someone please explain? And so something when we're thinking about pediatrics, and definitely with pediatrics, there's a variety of you know, it's very different than when we think about adults, right? Adults, you know, it's more kind of clear when we're thinking about like the Aspen guidelines of who has malnutrition or not, um, who has failure to thrive or not. But with pediatrics, what we're more looking for too is just people, well, not people, like, well, I guess they are people, you know, but uh, children not growing proportionally too. So when we're thinking about weight to, weight to length, which is the answer, Right, that's really great because we're tracking, you know, both the weight and the length. And we're looking to make sure that a kid, you know, you can be at the 6th percentile, you can be at the 90th percentile, is tracking on cue to kind of gain weight and going up and up and up. When we're thinking about length for age or weight for age, that's where we're thinking about malnutrition. So length for age right, or sometimes this is also called, right, if the kid is older than two and they're sitting up, height for age is talking about our chronic malnutrition, right, because we're thinking they've been so malnourished that their height is impacted. Versus weight for age is acute malnutrition because we're thinking that they're not having enough food, so they're starting to kind of lose weight. They're losing weight. So when we're thinking about failure to thrive, which, you know, you can definitely have malnutrition with failure to thrive, but it's more looking at kind of that proportional weight weight gain and height or length gain. So that's why our best answer is going to be weight for length. So pediatrics definitely understanding those growth charts is super, super helpful too on these ones too. So next up, what I have too is I asked a question to it. Well, and I said, how would fluid status be impacting our choice of tube feed. So when we're talking about fluid status, we're thinking about, you know, is someone volume overloaded or are they dehydrated? So when someone's volume overloaded, so we often see like hyponutri, we're often thinking about hyponutremia, right? When someone's volume overloaded, what we're, what we're thinking is 
that they have a lot of fluid on them. So right, this could be someone with ascites. This could be someone with edema. So when I'm thinking about a tube feed formula for this patient, I might want to be restricting their fluid because they already have a lot of fluid on them. So I'm not going to want to give them, you know, like a one calorie per milliliter formula because I already have so much, I already have so much fluid on them. So when someone's hyponutremic, I'm going to give them typically kind of, of course, have to assess the clinical situation. You know, we're thinking about giving them less fluid. Versus when my patients are hypernutremic, they're having a lot, they're having a lot of fluid losses. A lot of my patients, because I work in oncology, they're vomiting, they're having a lot of diarrhea. I'm going to want to give them more free water. So I'd be more keen to give them, you know, a Jevity or Osmolate 1.2 to give them some more fluid. So often when we're thinking about, you know, volume status, you know, another topic we can be thinking about too is our osmolarity versus osmolality. And so when we're thinking about our osmolarity with an AR in it, our definition of that is thinking about the number of particles of solvent per liter of the solution. First, when we're thinking osmolality with an L-I-T-Y, we're thinking about the number of particles of solvent per kilogram of solvent. So more thinking about the weight of this. And this can also take into a play too. We're more, when we're thinking about tubates, we're more in TPN, we're more thinking about to that concentration per volume, right? So we know if you give patients something that has a lot of particles per liter, so thinking about, you know, something that has, you know, fiber and all these additives too, that can often cause worsened diarrhea. So, you know, when we're thinking about the best tube feed formula for a patient, we're not only thinking about their volume status, but we're also thinking about two, um, we're also thinking about two, the osmolarity of the solution as well. Okay, next up, we got a question from a student and she said, why is phosphorus good for an infection? So it looks like this question's out of Inman. So this question is saying, you know, which nutrients would be most helpful treating a patient with progressive infection? And we have a few different options. So we have A, phos and zinc, B, sodium, potassium, C, sodium and chromium, or D, potassium and magnesium. And what we're thinking here, this is another one of the kind of like, which one is the most helpful and why? So when we're thinking about you know, an infection, especially if we're thinking about a wound, our mind should go instantly to zinc, right? So zinc is going to be super helpful in wound healing too. So that's kind of our first sign of like, you know, we have this infection, right? Zinc is definitely helpful in our wound healing as well. And then also, you know, phosphorus is going to be great too, because we're using that, you know, for our ATP as well. So our best answer here is going to be A, you know, not saying that I don't need sodium, potassium, sodium, chromium, and potassium, and magnesium, but we're basically, if we kind of flip this question, we're thinking, which one is going to be the most helpful? You know, with my students who I work with one-on-one, -on -one, a lot of the time when we're going through practice questions, 
one way to kind of think of it is if, you know, the gun's to your head and you're like, okay, you have to choose one now. You know, it's not saying I can't use potassium or, you know, anything else, but we're saying which one's the most important. And zinc definitely kind of with that wound healing infection is definitely, um, is definitely key. Is definitely key too. So next up, we have another question from a student. Um, oh, so let's see what we have in the comments. So a student said, oh, I did not think of APP. High calorie would need some more fossin. Yeah. I mean, and so thinking too, you know, anytime we're giving the body more glucose, more dextrose, we need more phosphorus, right, to help with our glucose metabolism too. So it's not just in refeeding, right? Obviously, when we're thinking about refeeding, we're thinking about magnesium, potassium, and phos, but just kind of in normal to help heal, to help give you energy. I need phos, you need phos, everyone needs phos too. And you know, you need potassium, magnesium too, which were some of the options but we're kind of looking for the best, you know, so kind of saying, you know, potassium is going to help us out and zinc is going to help us out in this specific situation. I'm not saying the other ones are, you know, not needed, but we're saying the most important there. So next up, we have a question that's saying, why does a low fiber diet cause failure to thrive? And so the answer to this is constipation. So we see this in kids a lot. So if you're constipated, right, you're going to be all backed up. You're not hungry. Everything, you know, your abdomen hurts. So when we're thinking about failure to thrive, which we thought about with that first question, right? We said this is the low weight to length. We're starting to see these kids kind of fall off that growth curve because they're not hungry. You give them the bottle, they're like, yeah, no, thank you. You try to give them food. No, thank you. Because you're so full. Often with my patients, they say like, hi, fecal burden because you're all backed up, right? We have to make room if we're going to eat. So it's that constipation on a low fiber diet. That's really key. Okay. Next up, we have a question from another student. Looks out like out of Inman and it's saying in a hospital with 300 patients, it takes 14 minutes to prepare one meal. How many FTEs are needed per week? So when we're thinking about this question, right? We kind of need to break it down. So we're saying we have 300 patients. It takes 14 minutes to prepare one meal. And how many FTEs do we need per week? And so the number one, kind of the number one mistake I see with this is we starve our patients, right? So if I have 300 patients, right? I have to feed them three times a day. So 300 times three, times seven. So what I'm saying here is in the week, I need 6,300 meals. And then I'm saying it takes 14 minutes to prepare one meal. So I'm going to divide that by 14. And that's going to tell me, right, that I am going to, that I'm going to need, right, 400 and 50, right, if we think about our units on that kind of meals, you know, per minute on this one, but we want to kind of back up on this and say, you know, that if I have, you know, 600, six, sorry, not 600, 6,300 meals per minute, and it takes 14 minutes to prepare, you know, so I'm going to be doing 6,000, oops, 6,300 meals times 14 minutes 
for one meal, and I'm saying I need it. Again, it's a big number. Um, eighty-eight thousand two hundred minutes, right? Because we want to be thinking about if I'm multiplying, I'm doing min. Right? This is minutes total. Because I'm multiplying total meals by minutes per meal, so I cross. I kind of X out my meals and end up with minutes total. So then I'm talking about FTEs. So if I take that and I divide that by 60, right? I want to find how many hours. That's telling me that I need 1,470 hours. And again, keep your units tight to get it right. And so I need that. And then I'm saying in a week, so divided by 40 here. And then that's giving me 36.75 FTEs and answer for this one, we have B, which is 37. So this one's a lot of steps. So to kind of recap, we said we have 300 patients, feeding them three days, three meals a day, seven days a week. That was giving us our 6,300 meals. Then we multiplied it times our 14 minutes per meal, ended up with saying we need 8,000. 88,200 minutes, and then we converted that to 1,470 hours, divided by 40, you get 36.75 hours. So again, this one is a lot of steps, but we need to kind of, you know, write them down to get them right. And a student in the live saying, was it considered a relief FTE? I keep I keep getting those questions wrong. No. So this one is just purely saying how many normal FTEs I need. And something to think about, right, is when we're thinking about FTEs, we have to think about the FTE standard for the time period. So this one was talking about 40, about a week. So that's 40 hours per week. If it said per day, it'd be eight hours per day. Okay. So this one, we have two questions for a student. So the first one is a business pays 4% of its income as rent. And they're telling us that it is $1,200, 70% towards labor costs and 2,500 towards monthly expenses. How much profit does the business make? So something that's a key here is we have to use the 4% of the income and in saying, okay, 4% of the income is $1,200. So that's telling us if I know that 4% of the income is $1,200, that means that the income then is $30,000. So then I can kind of use that as the key to go forward. So if my income is $30,000 and 70% of the income goes towards labor, I would do $30,000 times 0.7 and say, okay, well, my labor is $21,000 and my monthly expenses is $2,500. And we can't forget that my rent is $1,200. So when I loop back on this question and say, how much profit does this business make? I need to take all three of those costs and subtract it from $30,000. And then that is what I get. When I do that, I get $5,300 on that one. That one's definitely a good question. Okay. Okay. 
So next up, I got, I asked one. You guys asked so many great questions this week, but I finally got to ask a question too. So I said, what is the process by which water content of a vegetable is replaced by the con by a concentrated salt diffusion? And so what we want to think uh what we want to think of here is we want to think about we want to be thinking about what what is moving where right so this what this process is saying is this is talking about pickling right so this is when I pickle something I put my cucumbers in the jar put the vinegar I put I put the salt too but what's tricky is right most people said diffusion and osmosis those are the only two answers I got in the comments but you want to think about what is diffusion and what is osmosis so when we're thinking about diffusion that's the movement of the solutes that's the salt right so my salt is moving into my cucumber osmosis is only the movement of the water so when I'm you know if I think about I have water and I put a paper towel in it right that's osmosis but if I have the salt moving, that's diffusion. So diffusion is the movement of solutes. Osmosis is going to be the move is going to be our movement of the water. There too. Okay. Next up, we got another question from a student. Um, so it looks like out of Inman again. So it says, "What is the gross food cost for June using?" the following information. So they told us June one inventories, $5,300. July one inventory is $2,700. And food purchased in June is $3,105. So this is why our equations are so important too, because, you know, a lot of people are keen on kind of memorizing them, which is helpful, but it doesn't, you know, help us with that utility too. So what this question is really asking is what is the food cost per month for June, right? So when I'm thinking about the food cost per month for June, I'm thinking about how much money did I spend, I buy, right, in June, but also how much did I use for the inventory? So kind of the first step here is I'm taking the June inventory, then subtracting my July inventory, and then we're going to add back in the food purchase in June. So our answer for that is going to be the answer on here, A, which is 5750 And when we're thinking about food costs per month, we want to think about that, you know, it's not just what I buy. So my example I always like to give is think about if you're baking a cake, right? So you go to the store, you buy the cake, let's say it's $3, right? So that would be your food cost, you know, per month for your cake. $3. But then when I'm home, I use one egg, right? And I use a stick of butter. So I have, if I'm thinking about the total cost for the cake, I need to add in my stick of butter and my egg plus the cake I bought at this, I bought at the store. I bought at the store as well. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.